Hey everybody, it's Charles from HumbleMechanic.com. Today we're talking old school versus new school technology. This is episode 21 of the Humble Mechanic Podcast. This actually was not initially episode 21 of the podcast. Episode 21 turned into be really something that could only work in video format. So what I did was I took one of the shows my pal Rusty and I had done, sort of in addition to the rest of the show, and put it as episode number 21. And today we're going to talk about some old school versus new school technology. Things like fuel delivery, maintenance, engine management, and a huge part of it is really diagnostics, as well as talking about a little bit of the old type soul that cars used to have that I think in a lot of cars, at least a lot of mass market cars anyway, is really lost today. Before we get into the show, I want to remind you if you want exclusive content discounts you can't get anywhere else to places like Prime Sunglasses, MT Knives, Sonic Tools, MyCanic, Petrol Box, and more, check out the crew membership program. This is a great way to help support me, support the work that I do for you guys with both the audio and the video shows, as well as get an awesome return on your investment. The system was set up so that if you use the discounts, you're gonna actually make money on this program. So it works out really awesome, 65 bucks a year. Again, great way to help support me and support the show, but more importantly, Get yourself awesome discounts. If that's not your flavor, check out the Patreon that you guys asked me to set up for you, as well as you can use my Amazon link. That's free. Mash the link, buy what you're going to buy on Amazon, and I get a little credit for it. So any of those things I do appreciate. If none of those work for you, sharing the show, liking the show, all of that really does help. I appreciate your guys' support with everything. And as always, on the blog at HumbleMechanic.com, I will put links to the video if you want to watch Rusty and I chat but I think this one works pretty darn well in audio-only format. All right, with all that wrapped up, Charles, Rusty, let's hit it. So this kind of started off with us talking about maybe what kind of skills were have been lost for the yes. old stuff. Yes. And then what kind of skills are being used nowadays. And instead of being lost skills, let's compare a little bit, little bit of old and new. Yeah. And um, they're just... A, a, what really surprised me when I started working on the Firebird um, was how different things were. Talking to some of the younger guys about... Hey, I was working on the carburetor, and the guy goes, well, I've got one of those on my lawnmower, but yeah. you know, what, how does that work on a car? You just spray some stuff in yeah. it, and <laughs> yeah. that's it just how magically it happens. Yeah. yeah, electronic fuel injection has been around for you know, hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it was, I think it's an interesting topic. It is to me, uh, relearning some of these skills. So uh, I guess what's, you know, if you want to start off on the top of the car, start at the top of the engine with the carburetor. Yeah. carburetor. That's a great so, – that's probably one of uh, – one of the most sophisticated things on a car at, at the time anyway, you know, yeah. electronics were young and new and as you could look at your uh, fried printed circuit board on your cluster <laughs> from the fire, yeah. uh, yeah. we're not very reliable but, you yeah. know, the to me looking at a carburetor and going, someone designed this to shoot a little fuel here and pull a little air here and yeah. push a little air here and, and flap opens and magic happens. It's, and, it's incredible and the... Uh, the, the circuits, and, and when I say circuits in a carburetor, there's no electronics. Right. Uh, the circuits are just air passages, are tiny for the fuel. Let's say at idle, all the blades, all the, all the throttle plates are closed. And you may have a, a, a pinhole size thing that's bleeding some air through, and even a smaller one to get the fuel through, just to keep the engine from stalling. Right. And as soon as you break that, 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 that plate open a little bit, a different circuit has to start adding fuel. And then if you push it a little hard, then you have to have your accelerator pump squirt some extra fuel in because the vacuum wasn't doing enough. Um, and that happens, I mean, if you think about it, how many different ways can you apply a throttle in an old car? It, well, I mean, even it's, it's none. 
all the way and everywhere in between. Everywhere in between. And you have to compensate for yep. all of that. So, yeah, they were pretty complicated. Yeah. When they were talking about this circuit and that circuit, I, I, I didn't get all that, but I did get the basics of what I needed. And, and fortunately, I got in touch with a guy who really knew what he was doing and got the right parts and plugged in and it worked great. But, man, compared to nowadays, there's a, a computer graph inside yep. that, that, that black box that everybody likes to blame for the, for the problems. the that magic happens. silver box yeah. that, that fails. But they've, they've got everything graphed out. If this, then this. If yep. then statement. You rebuilt your carburetor when you did this. What was the thing that you're like, I knew how a carburetor worked. Because you knew. Fuel goes in, air goes in, yeah. down on the line. Right. What was the thing you're like, holy crap. For a 1970s car or early 80s car, I had no idea that this piece, this one thing was so sophisticated. sophisticated. The one thing that really got me on, on that was that the uh, flow rate, this was a Rochester Quadrajet, uh, which a lot of people don't like them because they call them Quadrajunks and Bogjets. And people have great names, don't, for, don't they? When they're trying to make fun of something. Well, back in the day, <laughs> you know, the government was just getting into regulations, so they, they tried to make everyone lean the carburetors right. out. And then if it didn't work just right or you got it just a little too lean, then you had you had no drivability. Well, and I think that actually still kind of It does still happen. Yeah. yeah, we do still have <laughs> that, don't we? But um, what I really found surprising was the variability of the displacement or the, or the flow rate of the quadrajet carburetor. When the, 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 the base plate, when you go to wide open throttle or something anywhere near it, all the butterflies open. And then there are two, you know, the two small venturis in the front, which you drive on all the time. But the two back ones um, had two plates above them. And so uh, as the engine was pulling, the, the vacuum from the engine was pulling air and fuel mixture in, these things would open just enough to allow in the air that the engine wanted. So if the engine wanted more air, they'd open wider. And it was all based on just that vacuum. If, they want, if it wanted less air, they would, it wouldn't open as much. And cool. it just varied the displacement of the carburetor. Uh, or the, I keep saying displacement. The flow rate of the carburetor. Um, and a lot of the, some of the, the hollies and stuff don't do that, so you, you could get a bog. You'd have to tune that mixture for that. Whereas in this carburetor, it, that that cam that opened it was designed to vary the air based on what how much fuel was going out. So it That's almost amazing. sounds like you had like good drivability, good power, but still almost some sort of an early emissions control where it's not doing more than it needs to based on demand. You know what driver. I, what I uh, equated it to is like our variable valve timing we use mm -hmm. today where, you, you know, back then the, the reason the hot rods thumped was because the cams were all set up for high RPM, not for low RPM, so they wouldn't idle well. And one that idled beautifully had no top end at all. So the variable valve timing compensates for right. both. That's what I kind of looked at that carburetor. was like an early version of that. That would just based on load, it gave you what you needed. Right. Which I was pretty impressed with that. And then, under normal circumstances, daily driver, you had these two very small venturis or barrels, whatever you want to call it, um, that kept up the the high flow for the drivability because you got good throttle response at right. low RPM. So I was pretty <clears throat> impressed at how sophisticated they were back then. Power on demand, good drivability. That's I mean, heck, that's what we things, want today. Yeah, there's old school, new school. Some of that stuff doesn't yeah. change. So when we move away from carburation and go into more of, of today's technology and we look at things like you know, electronic fuel injection, now we're in direct injection where fuel is sprayed yeah. directly into the cylinder, um, which has some pros and, as we know, some cons with right. uh, you know, carbon buildup on, on backs of the valves. Right. Um, it's, even though the individual components 
fuel injector, throttle valve are all electronically controlled. Our goal is still the same thing, perfect fuel mixture all the time. Right. Um, and now that we have electronics introduced and everything's computer controlled and the ECM's picking the perfect air fuel mixture based on what it's seeing from the feedback of the throttle body, which is basically driver response, how much are you mashing on the pedal, right. or you know the airflow meter measuring the air coming into the engine, mm -hmm. the oxygen sensor measuring how much unburned fuel is coming out of the engine after combustion. Yeah. And it tunes sort of like an old school guy would go, tweak, tweak, right. tweak, sounds right, feels right, right, let's go drive it and see what happens. Right. The ECM not only is doing that every second the vehicle's running, right. you know, it's doing it at idle, it can predict what it wants while it's driving, it can predict what you're gonna do if you're off the throttle and braking, it knows, okay, I'm probably not gonna be immediately accelerating. Right. That's why a lot of people complain about my car stumbles after I brake and then accelerate because the car doesn't know what you're gonna do. Right. It only knows what you've been doing. Right. So <clears throat> it's it, it's a little predictive. It is. And sometimes what do we call that fuzzy logic. Fuzzy logic. Fuzzy, yeah, it's a, it's fuzzy a bit, German logic, I think, is <laughs> technically what we it's call fuzzy it. Fuzzy logic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if it's predictive, then sometimes if you change what you're doing, it has to change its mind. Right. Now the electronics of it can react and nanoseconds right but the mechanics of it cannot nope so that's one of the issues we had with some of our cars what would uh, people would talk about rolling a stop sign and the old cars the cars already down into first gear doesn't matter you jump back on it, you're gone and then the new cars it's thinking it's getting ready to select first gear and it's looking at selecting first gear but it's not quite ready to do that yet and you jump back on the accelerator already and it's like okay i'm in second <laughs> wait, wait, okay, wait, wait, to, wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Hold on, let me think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there are some there's some good and bad. Now, obviously, the way things are now are orders of magnitude better than they were back then. Correct. Because the car, I mean, the engines are managed within an nth of their life, and it's perfect. But it's lost some lost some personality in my opinion. So as we move, like we're talking about from carburation, let's move into something really simple and actually not very... For everybody. Yeah, and it's it's really not that different. No. It's basic maintenance. Yeah. Oil main change, tire rotation, uh, brakes, fluids. You know, the the actual maintenance really hasn't changed all that much. A matter really of fact, hasn't. some of the newer cars have actually gone by the rear drum brakes. Ugh. Yeah, but, not a fan of that. Yeah, I know. The new guys are like, what do you do with yeah. these? And they're like, oh, this is the simplest thing in the world. But um, the, the the basics of it haven't changed. The the duration. Yes, uh, intervals. The, the intervals. Intervals are, right. you know, that, that you know, get your oil changed every 3,000 miles. Wow, they're getting sued. Did you know that? Are they really? The, the company that. that's telling you now to get your oil changed every 3,000 miles? I don't even really want to talk about who's yeah, telling you now. Let's just say but. they'll change your oil in it. Jiffy. Dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. And that's well, why it only takes that. five minutes because you're in there all the time. Right. But, I mean, while the overall idea of basic maintenance really hasn't changed, we've moved light years ahead in oil technology, uh, brake design. fluid technology. You know, when I was at Shell, they were talking about how it used to be Shell or Mobile built in oil. Right. And uh, Audi built an engine, and then they tried to get whatever worked best. Now the manufacturers, um, auto manufacturers, are working with the oil producers and mm -hmm. oil designers to design oils for engines. Right. And that's why you have, like on the common rail diesel, it has to be a 50700 low ash. 
blah, yeah. blah, blah, super yeah. high test cool guy oil. Yeah. Where before it was, you just, and you're yeah. happy. Yeah. What do you want to use? You want to use a 10W30, 5W40, or 2050 on some of the old ones that are kind of get worn out. That, that was the only question back in the day. Right. Um, nowadays, it is what does your manufacturer call for? Because, like you just mentioned, the, there is a there are very specific engineering standards that you have. if you don't apply or, or don't get an oil that, that adheres to those standards, yep, you're doing damage that you don't know about. And I don't think, to be honest with you, that is something I think the general public has not caught up with. They I don't, I don't think, so think they understand. I don't. That, yeah. Well, and there's places like Quick Lube Spots that say yeah. that ask you, do you want synthetic or do you want conventional? And people are like. I want what's cheap. What's I'm, cheap, right? You know, I'm at a quick loop. I want what's cheap instead of, you know, going, oh, flip, flip, flip. My book says I need 5W30, full synthetic, 50100 right. spec or whatever spec their car requires. And that $10 that you save once or twice a year now, it's going to hurt you. It can. And you know, you know what really be, scares oh, sorry, me? I'm, that's okay. Well, what really scares me is the people who read the advertising that they only need to change the oil every 10,000 miles. And right. then they go to one of those places and go, give me the cheap one. Terrifying. That's, they don't understand what they're doing to themselves. No. So. And the oil itself might be able to hold up to that. Yeah. But what happens when you're under maybe more extreme driving conditions? Yeah. You don't check your oil, so it's a quart low by the time you're ready for the next service. Yeah. Um, you bought a low-grade oil filter that can't collect all that stuff. Maybe it yeah. doesn't have a drain-back valve, so yeah. that initial fire up your and then everything's up, to, you know. Yeah. Uh, up, so it's important. I think we could do a whole show on it. I think we probably oil. should. I think so, too. I think we probably should. Pennzoil yeah. Platinum with Pure Plus Technology. <laughs> It seems like I've heard that once or twice before. It took me about a month to remember how it actually goes. But, um, yeah, I felt like we were advanced in, in uh, using that oil before we ever it became a, yeah. a thing. And it's cool. Yeah. It's neat it to, is pretty neat. I love the fact about. how clean it is. So yeah. basic maintenance is still as important as it was yeah. 50 years ago. We Changed probably less than anything else. I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. Even though what we're putting in our cars is vastly different, yeah. the idea of it I think is still... So what do you... Nowadays, when you're tuning up a car, is there a tune-up anymore? What are you tuning up? Yeah. I mean, you're still putting spark plugs. Yeah. You know, spark plugs still either fail or, or wear out. Not at the rate of, you know, every 20,000 miles. Right. Um, now, a lot of new cars use platinum spark plugs. Platinum plugs. Is, always, plugs. is it always an advantage to switch from the part plug that your manufacturer calls for to go to a platinum plug? No. Because they advertise it that way. Uh, they do advertise it that way. And basically, if you don't 100% know... I've got this vehicle and I can put this plug in it, put what your car is supposed to have in it. Unless you're doing like a big turbo setup or yeah. a highly modified vehicle where you can look at all these mods you have and I want a colder range plug or I want a hotter plug. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what that means, put yeah, in, get ready to say the same thing. Get ready to say the same thing. If you don't know what a heat range is yes. and you don't know how to apply yes. it, Use the plug that you manufacture. And auto light plugs and NGK plugs are not compatible whatsoever. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've had a car that mm. barely runs or, mm. you know, a misfire under acceleration, cold start misfire, yeah. where, you know, the, one of the early things you do in engine diagnostics on a gas engine is with misfires, you pull the spark plugs out and look at them. Yeah. You know, there's the idea of reading plugs, and I, I don't really buy into it, but you can look at a spark Big plug. Racers. You can look at it and go... <laughs> Autolites, which is the funny joke at Autolite, right, <laughs> are not 
compatible with right. you know modern European engines at least. Right. Uh, that Ford, definitely seems to be an Chevys, issue there. No problem. Right. Maybe. Maybe Domestic I don't know. Domestic car. But yeah. um, the key there, and that goes for all maintenance. Put in what your vehicle is supposed to have. I would highly recommend you, it. You know, you reduce the possibility for failures or, or drivability fun, issues. You know, you got to figure out the average person who just wants to tinker with their car, um, and they're not a tech, uh, will try to find some way they can modify their car. Right. And think, okay, this they get the what we joke about is the cool guy points. Yep. Well, when you don't Quantifier, know what you're doing, spark plugs, right. right. <laughs> when you don't know what you're doing, you can really kind of screw things up. And it usually doesn't cause permanent damage. But man, no, paying no. paying me a hundred bucks to diagnose that you put the wrong spark plugs in your car is a the oil that we talked about earlier will cause permanent damage. So the oil, you have yes. to get right. right. Spark plugs, if a spark plug goes bad, doesn't fire, you change the spark plugs, every, all, everything's happy with the world. So. Unless you really stretch that out and do catalytic converter damage. So I guess there is possibility yeah. Yeah. for... Yeah. You know, like I'd have to, I've never seen... I, I, you'd have to really screw that one up badly. Yeah, I'm sure it happens. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> so we, we touched a little on diagnostics and you know pulling spark plugs to right. check... Right. for misfires um diagnostics obviously light years difference between you know uh, a mid-70s vehicle and, oh, wow. and something that's come out even 10 years ago yeah um as little as the maintenance has changed it all the change has gone into everything. diagnostics yep and the controls so you know, back in the day you know the guys used to pride themselves on being able to listen to engines and they would you know uh, let's say a Buick mechanic who's worked on the Buick 350, which was a different 350 than Chevrolet, or whatever, would know that engine. And he'd go, he'd put his hand on it, and it's like, okay, this rhythm of vibration feels normal to me. Or this rhythm doesn't feel normal. Something's wrong. What do you do? You know, back in the day, they used to hook up a vacuum gauge. Right. And they would have to learn how to read how the vacuum, while the engine was running, how the vacuum gauge jumped or moved or did whatever it did because I'm not an expert in doing this. Yeah, I would um, also say I'm, I'm not trying to learn, but I'm not <laughs> one. Um, but they would read that vacuum gauge to try to determine how the engine was not operating properly, um, and a lot of it had to do with what camshaft was in it. You know, your your mom's station wagon back in the day had a ton of vacuum, but that hot rod you might have to idle it at 2,000 RPM to keep it running because right. it didn't have any. But they had th they did things like that. They would want to hear if you had a noise. Did it make it? Does it make it when you're revving the engine up or decelerating the engine? Uh, so there was a million little old school guy tricks that uh, they used to diagnose what they might go look at next. And so now that was more of a. I'm going to look at a vacuum gauge and go. This vacuum is proper for the vehicle while it's idling. Time to move on to something else, or mm -hmm. it's. Ding, 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 you know, ding, ding, they would ding, ding. they would do things like if it's shaking like this, they'd have one issue. If it would shake, 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 then they probably have like a valve battle one sonar. And every time that one sonar would hit, it would they it would know they now they'd have to go find what sonar it was. But so you could, when you're looking at engine vacuum, what's that really telling you? Like just just in kind of a broad spectrum, when what am I looking for as a good reading? Is it my engine's running properly, or because an, an engine's nothing but a an, okay, air, an pump. air pump. Right, we've talked about that before. Um, and and because it is an air pump, it is also a vacuum pump. Because to to pump the air, it has to pull the air in. Right. So that's where your vacuum comes from. Um, so what you're looking at is a st on a normal passenger car. We're talk not talking about a performance car here, but on a normal passenger car, what you would look for is a steady needle. Okay. And the vacuum would vary based on what camshaft was in the car. So, you know, to me, I think 17, 18 inches of vacuum is kind of the normal. Uh, on my car, I'm running just, just under that. 
But as long as it's steady, I know I'm okay. So you're looking for more of a consistent reading rather than, right. you know, right. it's, it's coming here, going here, coming up, doing right. left. And there are things that you can do to, even if you have a consistent reading on a healthy engine, if it's steady, you have a healthy engine itself. Like almost like a healthy process. Right. Now, if you can, uh, you could adjust back then the distributor timing. Uh, there's a million different timings. We can discuss that too. And the vacuum and the, uh, the mixture on the carburetor could affect one of the ways that you could uh, adjust the idle mixture properly was looking at a vacuum gauge. Gotcha. Adjust it, make it a little bit richer, you know, and watch the, if the vacuum needle moved or not. And you could do some things with adding air or taking air away and see how the engine responded. But, uh, but basically on a vacuum, you look for steady. So it sounds like vacuum gauge diagnostics is more of, I look at an initial thing, I, I, I do an analysis of what that says, and then I basically mess around you know, I know it's more scientific than that, but I but play around. I, I tweak fuel, I cover, you know, put my hand over part of the carburetor to, to block the airstream. Have you ever seen the TV see show it. House? The, the medical show? No. The, Is that the wrong answer? The, does it surprise me? No. no. <laughs> um, but they do something called differential diagnosis. They would That's treat, in the back of the car, though, I thought. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, or okay. maybe the front Different show. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but they would treat something when they had nothing telling them what was wrong with the this person they would treat something to see how the person reacted gotcha and so what you're doing in that instance is it'd be cool if you get it all tuned up record your baselines so that you can come back later on and not have to do all that again but let's uh, let me do this let me make it richer and see what happens if you make it richer and your vacuum drops or your idle speed drops you've made it too rich Gosh, so now you, you need to go take it back where it was and maybe go lean one okay. and it would probably be just about perfect. You know, it's funny you, you brought that up. That's actually not terribly different from how we diagnose cars today, mm -hmm. even though the numbers that we're looking at or the information that we're looking at is very different. It's still kind of an indication of efficiency of the engine. But, you know, one thing that I always tell guys in the shop is they come to me, Charles, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. Okay, what have you done? Nothing. Okay, well, go do something. <laughs> right. See, see, check something, wiggle something, yeah. you know, flick something. I don't know. Try right. something. Make an effect of some sort. Do something and see the result. If right. it's, you know, moving a fuse back and forth. I know we're kind of getting off engine stuff, but yeah. moving a fuse back and forth. Or we talked about driving or revving an engine versus, right. you know, the deceleration of the engine. Right. Do something to see see the effect on it. Anyway, when it, when it comes to what we're looking at for the engine, what we're what we're using for diagnosis and what we're going to do with it, the actual information we're trying to get from the engine hasn't changed at all. Right. How we go about getting that information is where the real revolution has been. And I think the amount of information we have is almost overwhelming. I mean, yeah. You know, we, I page through our scan tool and I'm like. I don't know what the heck half of this stuff means, right. or, or right. even if I know right. what it means, I don't. I don't know, interpret it. Or, like, what's the relevance of me looking at this? Right. You know, I can interpret it. It's, okay, cool. Right. What do I do with it? Well, you know, back in <laughs> back in the day, if, let's say, we had a, uh, an engine that may be idling a little rough, and I look at my vacuum gauge, and my vacuum gauge shows I'm down a couple of inches of vacuum, do I look for a tune, or do I look for a vacuum leak? Um, you know, intake manifolds used to leak a lot back in the day. Um, nowadays, you can look at you look at fuel trim. Right. You look at fuel trim, and it tell and, and you can know whether it's it, it kind of tells you what your basic ought to be, and you know whether because you've yeah. seen a million of them. But it's telling you whether it's adding fuel or taking away fuel, so yes. you'll know what it's kind of what it's doing. Basically, and that's where you get into looking. You know, is a vehicle rich, which means it has too much fuel. Is it right. lean, which means it has not enough fuel. 
Um, and then you get really trick when you start trying to diagnose turbocharged engines that way because at idle it's one way, off idle or under boost it's right. it's another way, and yeah. um, that's kind of mind-boggling to. Can a you lot imagine of back in uh, I think it was the early '60s they actually turbocharged a couple of engines back then? Can you with a carburetor? Yeah. Can you imagine them doing that and yeah. how they would control anything? I think uh, you just dumped as much fuel as you could <laughs> and hoped for the best. Yeah. They actually used the carburetor up here, and then as the intake came down this way, then they turbocharged it. Gotcha. So it was. So they weren't blowing it through the carburetor, right? That's probably a better choice. <laughs> yeah, rather than pressurizing a carburetor, just it's not worth it. Yeah. So, so I vacuum think, vacuum thing. I think honestly, that's probably a still very relevant thing to look at. I, I don't think as a sort of modern technician, we and I say we, I mean me. Yeah. I don't really think oh, I'll break the vacuum gauge out and check the mechanical condition of the engine. You've got a lot more information. Right, because there's less need to do that now because right. I can look at a scan tool and go, my idle's you know, 300 RPM lower than it should be. Why? You know, that, that shocks me is that you can look at one and say, okay, I've got a, approximately a one millimeter vacuum leak somewhere. Yep, diagnosing from the driver's seat. Man, I don't, yeah. I like doing that. Yeah, I bet. I don't have to get dirty at all. <laughs> I bet. There's a place for getting dirty, but... You know, one of the other things that I've uh, seen that's changed enormously is the ignition system. Oh, yeah. Um, good, good golly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, back, uh, back what then... What kind of car did... What was your first car? Uh, Mustang. Mustang. 65 Mustang. Did it have an advanced... Not. I don't mean advancing ignition. advanced. Was it a sophisticated ignition system for the time? Oh, Lord, no. You can... The funny... <laughs> it's funny you bring that one in. I could raise the hood. This is a relatively small car. It's not huge. But I could raise the hood, and when I worked on the engine, I was standing on the ground inside wow. the engine bay because it was six on it, inline six. But I, it was a, a distributor, distributor cap, had a vacuum advance, and then those wires would go to all the plugs. And, man, how much fun is it when you're a kid taking wires off and putting wires on? I, for some reason, I just loved doing that. And a lot of times I was doing it for no reason, no purpose yeah, whatsoever. Just, but it's been it's been four thousand miles. Time to change the spark plugs. <laughs> okay, I'm changing yeah. the spark. But you know you got to you got there's so much you have to know. You can really screw up a car if you don't know what you're doing with this. Oh trigger. yeah. But what's really significant, I think, other than just the cap, the rotor, and the wires, which was that, that was the tune-up back in the day. So cap, rotors, plugs, wires. Like a high test, or uh, you mean like maintenance-wise? Maintenance-wise, gotcha. that was that was the tune-up because you had to set the parts. time. Out. And forever, I thought setting the timing was just. You know, at idle with a or the uh, timing light, looking at the marking on the on the um, uh, balance shaft, and then setting it at that point. But all you're setting it at that instant is the initial timing. That's the timing you have the moment you start your car, and in, in most instances at idle, your real timing, which was the uh, centrifugal advance, is you have little as that distributor spinning inside. There are weights inside there that kind of move out. And that advances your timing so that uh, under... And what do you say when you mean advances your timing? Wow. I, I, I understand. I, I just want to make yeah. sure we're all on the... Well, I don't mean to put you a little bit on the spot. No, I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out how to describe that because I'm not going to screw this up. That's okay. But... We're all friends here. As, as the... It, ignition doesn't happen instantly like an electronic thought does, okay? Um, as your, your cylinder's coming up to top dead center, if you wait until you get to top dead center to ignite that mixture, then your crankshaft's already turning. So the cylinder's coming down and it's moving pretty rapidly. So that means the, the flame front is not gonna move through the cylinder in time 
to actually push down on the sonar when you want it to. Right. It's so too it's, late. It's already coming down based on rotational inertia. Right. So what you have to do is you have to ignite that mixture in advance of the piston hitting top dead center. So at idle, at low, low speed, you have a relatively lean mixture. And this, there's a couple different things here I'd have to talk about. But for the purposes of this, as the piston's coming up, before you hit top dead center, um, roughly... 14 to 16 degrees, depending on the engine, you would ignite it. And so the piston would come up, and as it starts to just come back down, that's when the flame front would really explode, and you'd have that full stroke of the piston coming down to turn the crankshaft. With pressure, right. basically fire pressure, explosion pressure, pushing it down as well. That is timing. Now, logically speaking, the faster the engine's spinning, the earlier you have to fire that mixture off. So <clears throat> the... So you would have to advance the timing gotcha. as you're accelerating or racing or whatever. That was a great explanation. I think. Well, thank Fantastic. you. I, I, I was, I'm pretty proud of myself about halfway through that. I almost <laughs> lost my train of thought because I was like, I oh, almost know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so here's where the real trick comes in. Let's say you're now at idle. <clears throat> um, there, has, there is a, if you go online, look at the forums nowadays, there's a huge argument of whether you should use ported vacuum, which means it, it's, it, you get your vacuum from the carburetor, but only after the throttle plates are opened. Um, or manifold vacuum, which means if the car is running, you have a vacuum advance. This is different than centrifugal. So, why would you, why would you need that? Um, when you're at idle, your mixture should be pretty lean. Right. That lean mixture takes about twice as long as a rich mixture for that flame front to ex to expand. So you'd have to really ignite that mixture if it's if it's tuned properly, or tuned for it you'd have to ignite it twice as early as you would at, in my previous explanation. So now it's lean, so let's light it early, and, and boom. Okay, it works like it's supposed to. That cools your cylinder head down. It's interesting to think about a fire cooling something cooling, down. Cooling, right. Yeah, because it's efficient. Well, yes. Right. And, okay, this is 10 more shows, and way above my pay grade. <laughs> but... Um, and then, so once, you're, once you break the throttle plates on a carburetor, in the old engine, the carbureted car... It doesn't matter. The timing is the same whether it's ported vacuum or manifold right. vacuum. So everything else is out the window. Now, the other thing that happens is if you're cruising down the highway at 50, 60 miles an hour, and all of a sudden you, you're slowing down to 45 or you're coming to a stop and you, you release the accelerator, now you have a very lean mixture because that engine's been pulling fuel in, and all of a sudden you have blocked that, that, that method for getting the fuel in. So now you're really, really lean. So the vacuum goes spikes at that part on the engine and then advances your timing again as you're decelerating. What that does is it makes the engines run smoother. The, um, this is a vacuum advance. It makes the engine run smoother. It makes the, the cylinder heads run cooler. If you have a hot rod um, that's not doesn't have a crazy camshaft in it and your car's overheating and you can't figure out why, that's what a lot of guys are going to is going to manifold vacuum and it's cooling the cylinder head temperature. So you're just down. basically taking one vacuum line, moving it, in Three essence, you can do that, but there's some other things that you have to tweak to, to, to achieve that. But um, this one, I've, I've driven it in 95 degrees, um, and I haven't seen it exceed 190 degrees yet. And people say, old oh, Pontiac's overheating all the time. So anyway, that I find that it jazzes me up yeah. to start learning stuff like that. Because now, again, that is something where you had to have an effect Right. your personality of your car because you have tuned it that way whether it's right wrong or indifferent it's your fault
you know, or your glory, depending on how you. Kind of like the old uh, Nintendo systems where everybody had their like tap tap blow in the cartridge, and like everyone's was different, <laughs> and it only worked on their Nintendo. Yeah, system. That's funny. I never have done that. So <laughs> I, I was around when Nintendo came out, but I didn't play. Well, nowadays, I mean, you you went through that whole incredibly beautiful explanation of ignition timing, and yeah. now the Magic Box does it for you. Yeah, I mean, There's no, personality's gone. Yeah. Man. Well, I don't. Yeah, the. I don't know. That's, I'm an old school guy. The. <laughs> The ability for the average person to, to tinker and kind of squeak that little bit of extra whatever they're looking for out of their vehicle, be it fuel economy or power, yeah. um, is pretty much gone. Now you need to be a software programmer, basically, to... Well, look at the... You know, you probably would be able to see this at a drag race. If you go to a drag race, you see the, the new school guys come back with those turbocharged Hondas and the little things that make all those ugly noises. <laughs> and scream at 30 million RPM. Right. And they come back and they plug in and they're... And you, what you see with the old school guys is they'll come back, they'll have an ignition light, and they'll, the guys are trying to set up their car. I mean, some guys have this stuff nailed. The professionals have this nailed. Yes. But you'll see them, they'll advance their timing a degree or two just to see, and then make another run to see how that affects it. Or they'll change the jets in the carburetor from a uh, 72 thousandths to 73 thousandths and see how what a difference it makes in the carburetor. So that's, you know, that's slow tuning, but that's the way we did it back in the day. So... Part of being like an old school guy, mm -hmm. you were talking about the racing thing mm -hmm. versus the Honda guy that just plugs a computer in and does this, right. to me seems to be more of a touch and feel kind of thing. You'd mentioned laying your hand down on the engine and right. every, you know, eight seconds feeling a little, right. a little, a little that on a normal yeah. engine, there wouldn't be. So it, right. it almost feels like modern technicians have kind of lost that, and not all of us, but no. have lost that integration almost with where we're our brain yeah. is thinking as the car thinks you the, the best technicians have always been able to i think i've used earlier the thinking like the car um but it really comes down to an understanding of how all these systems integrate right you know and so nowadays you're using the you, you look at the fuel trim you look at the timing you you look at you look at things i've never seen before and go I think something's wrong in this area because you understand how the cars operate. Yes. The, the old school guys used to do the same thing, but they'd have to just, they'd always, everybody would have to get their information in a different manner. So the good technicians have always been able to. My grandfather, um, which is I think how I got into cars, um, my grandfather was the guy that everybody in the neighborhood would bring their cars to because he could listen to it, um, which is probably another thing we can go into. But he would listen to a car, and based on the sound, how it re would react, he would have an idea as to what's wrong with the car. But, and and the, the, the new school guys can look at data. And I'm not right. saying you, you still don't have the hands-on thing, but you really, you're looking at data and thinking, okay, I see this data. I have an idea of what's going on with right. the car. You know, so the good technicians really never change. They just think differently, I think. I think thinking like the car is really, really the key, yeah. where you know before you didn't have... 8,000 bits of data to look at. Right. You just, you know, this area is hot. Or when I, like you'd mentioned, doing something, bump the timing a little bit, this is what happens. Or right. wrap the throttle open, which now you can't even do because there's not. There's no <laughs> throttle. Yeah. You're getting right. in the car and mashing the pedal. Right. Um, which is great when you're sitting watching a scan tool. You can just mash the pedal and, right. and it's, you know, instant reaction. Right. Um, I think as a tech, you know, I, I look at the old school guys and I'm like, man, those guys really knew 
and felt and got that car. Right. And I look at people. The good ones. The good ones. Because there's this, a lot of not good ones. Well, in, there's man. still oh, a lot of All you got to do is this. Yeah. And, man, they really can yeah. screw up a car. And, but that's still the case. I mean, yeah. there's still a lot of not good ones. Good I point. know several of them yeah. that just, they couldn't fix a sandwich, let alone, like, understand, yeah. you know, all this data that we've got, which is incredible when you look yeah. at all the, you know, air fuel mixture, timing, you'd mentioned, uh, Airflow meter readings, oxygen mm. sensor voltage, watching it go up and down. Right. But anyone can look at that. My wife right. could look at that and go, I don't know what this means. Right. You know, if it's, they had a chart. Yeah, maybe. They could get maybe close. But, you know, when you get, we should do a whole show about engine diagnostics and like the mind screw that it, that can be. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to say something different, but I, <laughs> yeah, sense yeah. Myself. I don't want to have to mark this explicit on YouTube. <laughs> <clears throat> but, you know, I look at it and I go, okay, blah, 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 blah. But the reason I do that is because I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars right. that ran right, that didn't run right, right, that ran not right in this way, and this right. one didn't run right this way, and right. these were the solutions. So I've developed almost like a gut feeling on yeah. on these numbers. And I think it was kind of the same way way back then where you, would, you couldn't just, as a rookie tech, put your hand on it and go, Misfire cylinder four because the exhaust valve's bent. Right. Yeah, you couldn't do that. But that that comes with experience, and that comes with understanding how all those systems work together so that the information makes sense to you. So that's yep. just something that, that talent, timing, um, training. Wow, they well, all start with T. I was going to say, that's a great, <laughs> the three T's of being a good technician. Talent, timing, training, tools. And, and tools. Yeah. And what is the word that starts with T that says you got to want to do it? Uh, Thoughtful. Anyway, no, I don't know. but anyway, there's a good one. At though. some point, though, tenacity you, could be. Oh, that could be good. Yeah, we or should you, do. You got show on tenacity. <laughs> that, that could be. Tenacity. That could be read the wrong way. Right, but um, at some point, you have to want to learn those things. Yes. And there's no amount of training or beating or whatever that anyone can do to, to make you learn it if you don't want to learn it. I've tried, and you're right. I know. I mean, <laughs> Me I <know>. too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap it up. Any think, any final old school, new school, one you know, better I than other? I I was I, I'm very excited about this segment, this show, whatever you want, you want to call it, show. Um, just because I think this was this was a fun topic for me to mm -hmm. discuss, and uh, and I think you and I kind of mirror that where you're yeah. you're building the Trans Am, you know, I'm I'm a, yeah. definitely more of a new school school type technician, yeah. and. Uh, but I can tell you what, the old school techniques sometimes can work on the new school stuff. No doubt. Yeah. When you, you see can't plug a, and a diagnostic equipment into a carburetor. No. <laughs> no. I mean, you can, but. And it, sometimes you, you hear a guy with an engine that's going, poof, 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 and it's blowing back through. It's either really lean or timing is off. I mean, there's, there's, yep. there's things that, like I said, it never changes. I'm just looking at it from a different era. All right. So there you have it. A nice, fun talk about old school versus new school stuff. If you're an old school dude, sometimes the new stuff seems a little scary and a little foreign. And if you're a new school dude, you probably don't have any idea of some of that older technology. I'll be honest, I'm a little bit guilty in that space too. So thanks to Rusty for hanging out. If during the episode we mentioned his website, Bench Racing Garage, he's actually moved on since then and is not doing that anymore. Remember, if you guys have questions or comments about today's show, head over to HumbleMechanic.com and leave them down in the audio episode labeled 21 Old School versus new school technology. Don't forget, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, Snapchat. And hey, if you guys are digging the audio-only version of the show, head over to iTunes and leave it a review. 
five stars, awesome. I really appreciate that. But any review you feel like it's worth, thank you for taking the time to do that. Always awesome on your part. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.